must tell you guys, um, when Ivor asked me uh, about three or four weeks ago to do the sermon tonight, as you do, I sort of made a little list of topics and framework and these are all the things I'm going to do. Little to know that Ivor was going to preach through every single one of them in the next three sermons about Luke. Now, uh, and eventually I said to him, I'm so glad you're going on leave. You left three or four out. And he obviously figured out which it was and he got hold of Emil and he asked Emil to cover all those this morning. <laughs> so I hope I don't bore you guys, but uh, yeah, I'll... Start with a prayer. Lord, we are gathered here today before you, and we're very aware of our own weakness. We are nothing without you. We know that you live to die, Lord, but we also know that you died to live. Cause us to be a blessing to others. Give us the strength to glorify your name through how we show our love to each other and how we glorify your name by telling others about you. Amen. Now, um, some of you will remember my previous sermon was about Genesis 1. Don't worry, I'm not going to go there again. But most Christians find that first chapter of Genesis boring. Why? There's no people in it. Uh, Normally, most Christians start getting interested from around about chapter 3, where there's people in the Bible that they can relate to. The only problem is, if that's how you look at the Bible, you are signaling not only to other people, but also to God, that you think the Bible is about people. There's two main characters, if I can call it that, in the Bible. God, people. Now, if you read the Bible with a a God-centered perspective, you're really asking the question, what do God get out of this? And of course, if you read the Bible with a people-centered perspective, the question will be, what do people get out of this? Now, God obviously is the main character of the Bible, and God lives to radiate his glory. But the average Christians say this is true, but then they don't live like they believe it's true. They're almost putting people on the throne instead of God. And, um, you know, we, we sang some songs and there was lots of prayers. And, but when we look at Jesus' death on the cross and we ask, what did people get out of it? What did people get out of Jesus' death on the cross? I mean, we all know the answer. Uh, our sins were atoned for. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And, uh, but this is a very people-focused answer. Uh, this is what people got from it. And uh, this filter tends to affect everything we do in our theology and how we see God, how we read the Bible. Um, and normally also if we say to people, but, um, and there was some witnessing now, why, we should, why should we tell other people about Jesus? Very often you're going to get the answer, so they do not go to hell. You say, well, why shouldn't they go to hell? And they normally would say, well, so they don't suffer. And uh, that's a people version. But what did God get out of Jesus' death? If you ask yourself, what did God get out of Jesus' death? Well, he got praise, obedience, worship, glory, much more. Now, Paul writes in Romans 15, Francois, uh, verse 8 and onwards. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, 
Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Um, now, Paul did not write about Gentiles not going to hell. He's talking about Gentiles glorifying God for his mercy. Now, in case you didn't know it, you're all Gentiles. You're all non-Jews. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile in, in terms of Bible terminology, uh, New Testament terminology especially. So, we who are Gentiles, non-Jews, we've been saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. It's very clear um, if you read this verse. And if you look, I'll just read the beginning again. You know, this, so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then it says, praise him, praise him, praise him. That's the reason why you've been saved. But, you know, that's why God saved people. But what was Jesus' own focus? When he came to earth and he, he, he was going to the cross, what did Jesus think? What was in his mind? Yeah, who said that now? You, yeah? Um, John prays in John 17. And, um, and he's praying for the Father to glorify him, him, Jesus. He's now getting very close to the end of his life, almost at the cross. In verse 4 and 5, Jesus prays to his Father. And he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence of the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What did Jesus come and do on earth? He came to glorify God. And, um, and that's the work his father gave him to do. So when Jesus was um, thinking about the pain and suffering that he was about to undergo on the cross, his primary focus was not people. It was his father's glory. And maybe you're thinking, that can't be right. I know Jesus just came to earth to die for my sins. He did. But let's look at John 12, verse 27 and 28. And uh, Jesus is saying, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus came to glorify God on the cross. And then there was a, a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it and I will glorify it again. But why was Jesus prepared to die for us? Why was he prepared to give up his heavenly abode Leave heaven. Come and live on earth as a human. Why was he prepared to come and die for us? What was so important that the second person of the Trinity left heaven, came to earth, and died on a cross for us? Well, we humans, we were created in the image of God. We know that. And when Jesus redeemed sinners on the cross, he was redeeming that image that's part of who we are. God fulfilled his initial purpose and plan for us. Um, God fulfilled that plan, which was always to have fellowship with us. And that fellowship was lost with, uh, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of, of, of Eden. So God expressed the very essence of who he is on the cross. God is love. He loves his creation. He expressed that love for us unconditionally. God was radiating his glory on the cross. That's what he came to do. He came to radiate his glory on the cross and to redeem these um, humans that he wanted to have fellowship with. So Jesus does love us, but he also loves his Father. So all the songs that people had, like Hillsong, all the songs um, they listened to that says the only thing Jesus was thinking about on his way to the cross was us people, it's all false. It's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Um, Jesus died for his Father's glory. No other reason. But he also died 
Let me correct that. Not, not no other reason. The primary reason for his father's glory. But he also died so that we, as redeemed sinners, could glorify the father with him. So just by yourself, um, just think about the following few, uh, questions. Just in your mind. Were you brought up discovering the world's greatest treasure or fleeing from hell? Very many people would say they were brought up fleeing from hell, not realizing that the world's greatest treasure was out there waiting for them. Now, hell is a terrible place. But do you think heaven is a place full of people that were scared of hell? Are you looking forward to heaven because of the absence of Satan, because of the presence of the Lord? I think it gives us a little bit of perspective sometimes. You know, we tend to forget these things. Now, uh, it's an old joke. Maybe many of you have heard it about dogs and cats. The dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. You must be a god. A cat says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. I must be a god. Dogs have masters. Cats have slaves. And some Christians think like cats. They really do. They're basically saying, life is all about me. God died for me. Now he must live for me. And I will describe these Christians as cats. Some people have cats. I see all the smiles. Cats are like that. Uh, now, both cat Christians and dog Christians have invited Christ into their lives. They go to church, have quiet times, they pray, they seek after God. The difference between cats and dogs it's in their attitude. It's what's in their hearts. It's who they are actually living for. Are they living for God? Or are they living for themselves? And um, said one of the, the differences between cats and dogs is in motivation for wanting to go to heaven. Cats are running away from hell. Dogs are running towards heaven. And uh, so for a dog, it's all about the joy of discovering God. For a cat, it's a relief of escaping hell. Now, cats, they normally think they've been saved uh, because they said a prayer and they were baptized. Dogs know they've been saved because they hunger for God and for opportunities to glorify Him. And um, both of them, of course, went to obedience school, different schools though. You know, dogs, they want people to obey God. Cats, no, they want God to obey people. And um, cats are focused on themselves, what they can get out of Christianity. They are seeking God for their own needs and wants. Now, cat Christianity is incomplete. It's not a, a, a complete religion almost. Cats miss a very important part, the reason for why they've been saved. They've been saved from hell, and it stops there. So it's not uh, incorrect, but it's incomplete. It's not the whole story. Dogs are saved for glorifying God. Big difference between being saved for something and from something. And um, cat's view of blessings is incomplete. God, uh, cats want God to bless them, and, uh, but it stops there. They don't go further. Dogs know that the reason they've been blessed so they can be a blessing to others, blessed to be a blessing. The first place we read it is, is the story of Abram in the Bible. God, Abram was blessed to be a blessing, and we tend to no longer uh, live like that. Now, many cats, people who would, I would describe as cat Christians, can fill in the missing words when you show them the first part of Psalm 46.10. Have a go. What's missing? How do I complete that? Be still. 
Uh, yep. Yep, that's a, that's a missing part. Can you, can you show me the whole verse? Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is not about, you know, just playing games. You've got a God-given instruction to go and share the gospel with people, to tell other people about God. And that's why I say, you know, cats, they don't normally like that second part because I ne most of them have never seen it in the Bible, and I'll talk about it just now. Now, cat prayers are normally incomplete. To just say, Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And I'm stepping on toes here, I know that. It's not wrong, but it doesn't go far enough. Dogs would pray, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, so that we may honor you, so that we may glorify you, so that we may point others to your mercy. Cats normally do not pray that last part. Uh, you know, once their sins are forgiven, oh, well, that's good enough. Uh, we're happy about that, and they're not going to really thank they thank God, but they're not going to really do much further. And it's just not enough. We don't go far enough with that. But you may ask, why do we have that? Why do we have cat theology? And I think right from the beginning, right from first chapters of Genesis, Satan has been trying to rob God of his glory, clearly. And God loves to bless his children. But he wants his glory to shine to other people through the blessings he gives to his children. Now, Satan does not want people to understand this blessed to be a blessing concept. And uh, he deceives people using their own self-centeredness. Satan can get people to follow God just for the blessings they think they can get from him, nothing else. Well, Satan succeeded. He's robbed God of his glory. It's a, a principle, uh, as ever looked at or like philosophy, called liberal humanism. Now, liberal humanism states that the main purpose of Christianity is the happiness, happiness of man whilst alive. God, do you want you to be happy? You do want all of us to be happy. But Satan has twisted this and has fooled people into believing that God is only worried about their personal happiness. God wants us to be happy in him as we obey him. If we live in this in him part, well, we end up with a view that puts people above God, clearly. And um, cats are basically saying, well, Jesus died to give us a good life. Um, the cat is almost saying, you know what? Give me what I want, then I will praise you. It's almost as if cats think they can hold God to ransom. And this people focus attracts lots of people to the prosperity gospel churches. Worships in these prosperity gospels, some would call it health and wealth, name it and claim it, word of faith movements. It's a constant chase after blessings. Now, these dominations is the ultimate cattery. If you don't know what a cattery is, a kennel is something for dogs. A cattery is for cats. So a cattery is a place where it costs you money to house cats. These are all these prosperity gospel stuff. It's all about money. Nothing to do with the glory of God. So not only are Satan using these people's own self-centeredness to deceive them, he uses false teachers to convince people that they can manipulate God, uh, and think that they can actually please God through what they do and they can be saved by their own works. And then even these false teachers, especially in these prosperity gospels, they're teaching people that they can buy God's blessing. If they give enough money, money to that specific uh, church, they will be blessed. 
that's what, that's what the fallacy of the prosperity gospel is for those of you who've worked with people who've had that exposure. They literally teach them you can bribe God to bless you by giving enough money for the church. And almost invariably the, the pastor will have a BMW, a seven series and a big house. Now, I don't know, some of you may sometimes have read Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, uh, Paula White, I see lots of girls with books from Paula White on the bedside table. Careful, beware, prosperity gospel. Careful. God cannot be able to ransom, and he will not tolerate sin forever. He does not take rejection of his grace lightly. The father who watched his son tortured to death on a cross, he's not going to allow that sacrifice to be degraded by false preachers that twist his word for their own personal benefit. Redefining the Bible to decide for yourself what is sin, I think it's in the exact same category. I mean, we now have homosexual married Germanists in the bigger so-called reformed denomination in South Africa. It's if they are saying, who cares if God is glorified by homosexual Germanies? It's about people being happy. Surely, surely these people cannot believe that God is being glorified by this development. I just don't see how they can motivate it on that basis. Now, cats, they tend to have mixed up uh, priorities. See, dogs like theology. Now, theology is the study of God. Cats, they like meology, the study of me in the Bible, not the study of God in the Bible. And this is a, this prosperity gospel, guys. Um, they're basically just living for themselves in a Christian context. They actually claim to be Christians, but I don't actually even believe they are. They're just concerned about their own personal well-being. And um, their concerns take priority in their prayers as well. Now, some of you are wondering, you know, what's the point of all of this? And when I said Ivor actually covered every one of my points, Ivor started his sermon on the 17th of October with the following words, and I'll read it. In Afrikaans, on, on the blog, but I translated it. I am thankful that Jesus is not like us. Our lives are all about ourselves. We even limit our prayers to ourselves, our loved ones, our problems, our illnesses, our sorrow, our needs. We seldom think wider than our own lives and circumstances. Therefore, we hardly pray for the world's lost masses. That was the intro to his sermon. Iva was talking about cat Christianity. In John 14, verse 13, Jesus tells his disciples, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you go and look at the underlying Greek, I think you could probably have re phrase that sentence slightly. But the principle, I think, is this. Does God want to heal sick people when we pray for them? Yes, if it will bring him most glory. If it will give him more glory by taking that person home early, that's what he will do. I think, you know, a dog would pray, Lord, bring glory to your name through my sickness, even if it means taking me home early. Lord, bring glory to your name through my attitude and trust in you, even though I'm homeless or even though I'm unemployed. Because this is not about people, it's about God. This cat meology, the study of myself in the Bible, it's a feel-good religion. I think without even realizing it, many Christians only focus on verses in the Bible that makes them feel good. Uh, in meology, cats only read Bible verses that please them. It's like they almost use the Bible like a refrigerator. You know, you take out all the good stuff you like and you just leave the rest. And um, so cats tend to only select passages that they really like. 
And there's some really beautiful passages. Now, I'm not going to put it on screen. I'll just run through them. You all know them. Psalm 103.11. God's love for me is great. Uh, Matthew 11.28. My burden won't be too heavy. Jeremiah 29.11. God has plans for my welfare. Psalm 40, verse 1 to 3. God put my feet firmly on a rock. Now, these are all absolutely beautiful passages. But cats read them. them. They hardly ever will go on to verses like 1 Peter 2, verse 20. That says you've been called to suffer. You are blessed when you are insulted or persecuted on account of Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12 All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is the balance that's there. It's in the Bible. You need to read both. Now, um, when we pray, just coming back to the remark I've made, of course, we must pray for the safekeeping of our own family. But you must also pray for persecuted Christians in places like Afghanistan. We must pray that our loved ones will come to faith in the Lord. But we must also pray, just as passionately, that the millions of Muslims in Afghanistan will get to meet the Lord, come to faith, so that they can also glorify God. Now, cats, they tend to, uh, to apply the Bible very selectively. You know, Israel lived in Egypt, it's a debate, but let's say about uh, 400 years. Maybe the last 10 generations or so, uh, lived the slaves, only the last generation got their freedom. So when cats talk about Israel's slavery in Egypt, they tend to only talk about that one generation that got their freedom. It's not wrong, it's incomplete. Did God love the nine generations that died in slavery? Of course he loved them as well. Did God have a plan for their lives? Of course. What was that plan? And this is the part cats don't like. The plan was for them to be born as slaves, to live as slaves, to die as slaves. Because that's what would glorify God most eventually. If you do not feel compassion for the many, many Christians in the early church that died as martyrs, so that we can have this service as we stand here right now, how are you ever going to have compassion for the billions of people that's never heard about Jesus? I don't think we are doing the family of, of, of God any favors by just preparing them for all these happy, blessed events in life. Ah, disaster, frustration, sorrow, it's part of life. We all know it. Cats normally don't want to know about this. Cats are not taught that you may be stoned to death whilst you're actually busy glorifying God. Story of Stephen and Acts. That Christians in the city where you live may be persecuted so badly that they all have to flee into the rural areas and in the process spreading the gospel. That's the story of Saul prosecuting Christians in Jerusalem. And God may allow you to be beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, naked, cold, hungry, beaten with 39 lashes, multiple times, put in jail, so you can share your faith with others. That's the story of Paul's ministry. It's the story of people who suffered to be able that we can stand here today. And this lesson is then to go against this feel-good uh, theology of, of, um, of cats. Now, these stories don't sell. You know, uh, many churches don't share them with people uh, because people feel uncomfortable. And maybe they'll leave and go to another, you know, another church where they don't tell stories like this. Um, they want to hear good stories. They want to feel good uh, theology. But the Bible, it's not about people. It's about God. So, you know, um, cats, yeah, they expect life to be fair. Now, there was a book that went around, I don't even know, a few years ago. Uh, the, I think it was called The Prayer of Jabez. Maybe some of you have seen it, read it. 
Cats love that book. You know, it's about uh, 1 Chronicles 4 verse 10. It's about this um, Jabez that asked God to be blessed. And God heard his prayer and he was blessed. And the book became a bestseller. Cats, they do not like the story of the young girl and two kings, five so much. Uh, yep, just keep it there. Now, we, don't know, we do not know this young girl's name. But we know she was taken captive in a war. She became a slave to the wife, to the wife of Naaman, the general in command of the Syrian army. Now, knowing what happens in places like West Africa, Syria, Iraq, even today, the chances are Naaman and his troops, probably in front of her, murdered the father and her brothers, raped the mother and then killed her, raped her and took her away as a slave. Now, can you imagine the emotional pain this poor girl must have had? Despite that, despite that, God still used her. She said to her mistress, would my Lord were with a prophet who was in Samaria? He would cure him of leprosy. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole long story. Go and read it yourself. But the climax is in verse 15, Francois. Then he, Naaman, returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. God can even use poor slaves like this of all the things she went through to get a Syrian general to come and glorify him. Like I said, that's the story of Stephen in Acts 6 and 7. Most people, most of them tore it out of their Bible. I mean, how can you actually be full, be full of God's glory, be busy glorifying him and be stoned to death? You just don't understand it. But how, how about Uriah the Hittite? You probably all know who Uriah the Hittite was. His mistake, he was one of David's generals and he had a really beautiful wife that called David's eye. Now Uriah's death resulted in King Solomon being conceived. Ultimately, Jesus was born out of the union of David and the widow of Uriah. Did God have a plan for the life of Uriah? He must have had, sure. Do you think Uriah lived, enjoyed living out that plan? But the real question is this, was God glorified through the death of Uriah and the ultimate birth of Jesus? Of course. Maybe you say, but well, that's not fair. Well, who told you life is supposed to be fair? Life is a series of opportunities to glorify God. Not using those opportunities is a waste of your life. Focusing only on those blessings that you can get from God in maybe 70 odd years you're going to be on this earth. Well, it's catmeology. I think if you're a dog, you would realize somebody may live, may live a life absolutely full of suffering. And God's glory in their life may only be revealed in eternity. Life is not about us, it's about God. Now cats, they tend to look for themselves in the Bible. If you look at John 3.16, Francois just told us a story about it. When a dog reads it, all he sees is God. He says it's focused on God. Look at God's amazing love. He wants to save the multitudes. Cat reads it, he goes, ah, it's all about me and my own salvation. I can do it with almost every verse in the Bible. You can read it, seeing the glory to God and seeing what people try and make of it. 
Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 2 verse 5. Oh, four verse, from, from verse 4 actually. Um, he says, and you all know this thing. By grace you've been saved. God raised us up with him. Seated us with him in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. And that we should walk in them. This passage is not about people. It's about God. God gets to show you the incomparable riches of his grace. Basically forever. Going to heaven. It's all about what God does. Nothing to do with what you can do. People's only, only got well, one role, really, and that's just, uh, to glorify God by showing love to others, being testimonies of His grace and mercy. The rest of it, getting to heaven, it's all about God and what God does. Let me wrap up. Dogs primarily worship God for who He is, but also what He's done for them. Cats primarily worship God for what He's done for them, but also for what they hope to get from him. Let me be very clear. Cat Christianity is not wrong in itself, but it's not enough. It doesn't go far enough. It's like only, it's like only using two lines in the Lord's Prayer. And you sort of read one verse in the Bible and you pray and you say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Amen. That's not what it's about. So dog. Christianity is not the absence of cat Christianity. It's maybe the completion of it. If you no longer have any cat-like thinking left in you, well, I suspect you've become one part of that crowd in Revelation 7 glorifying the Lamb. You've gone to heaven. Um, so let's be quite clear. You cannot hold God to ransom and say, if you give me something, I'll praise you. You cannot bribe him and say, I'll give you lots of money to this church if you give me blessings. You cannot manipulate him and say, oh, look at all these good deeds I've done. It's not how it works. Through grace you've been saved. And God did all the work. Near, very near the end of Jesus' life, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? So in Matthew 16, verse 15. That is the most important question you will ever have to answer in life. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? That answer that you give will seal your fate for eternity. You dare not be wrong on that one. It's a big question to answer and you want to get it right. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior, the Lamb of God. He's a living sacrifice who secures forgiveness of sins and eternal life for those who repent of their sins and accept Him as Savior. This is why Jesus died for us, to save us. He loves us. He loves us. So that we may seek to fulfill our greatest purpose in life. To live for him and to point to his glory. This is the greatest joy we can ever have. As John Piper puts it, man is most satisfied when God is most glorified. I'll close with the proper um, Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, may you be glorified. May your kingdom come. 
May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.